you can have a seat, and as you're sitting down, pull out your copy of the scripture, pull out your listening guide, and tell the people on your right and left, I'm glad you're here today. If you were here last week or you caught the message uh, on podcast sometime during the middle of the week, I'm hoping that you're feeling more confidence in the scripture, that you have built your house of faith not on a pebble's worth of evidence, but a mountain's worth of evidence, 3,000 years of support underneath and behind the scripture, which leads us to the next question. If I can trust the Bible, uh, how do I read it? Most of us are reading it now with three different philosophies. Uh, first, we might be reading it a Wheel of Fortune style, right? uh, also known as uh, the flip and pick. See if this scenario sounds good, um, familiar. You inspi- you're inspired to read more of the scripture, and, and so you, you get up on Monday, and you sit down at your table, and you've got a cup of coffee, and you've got your Bible, and you've got a pen, and you take a picture of it to put it on the internet, because that's the first step. And then now you're going to read it, but what do you read? Where, where do you read? So we wheel of fortune. We spin it. We start flipping through and uh, get to a place that looks sort of good, and then our eyes fall on a verse, and how can you say, I am not unclean, I have not gone after the bales, look at your way in the valley, and you're like, I don't, I'm not in a valley, we live in Houston, there are no valleys here, I don't know how to apply it, and you do that on Monday, but you didn't get anything out of it, but hey, check, you read the Bible, uh, you, you do the same thing again Tuesday, you flip, you pick, uh, you don't get anything out of it that day because you don't know what came before it, you don't know what's coming after it, you're not thinking about how it's connected. Uh, if you get to Wednesday, is possible, definitely you're not still reading it on Thursday because it's not that helpful and you're not understanding what you're reading because you're just flipping and then picking. Uh, or we read it like we go to the Costco to get samples. Uh, we've talked about that before, but that's the best part about Costco is you can go over to the seafood section and they'll have a little sample of some shrimp cocktail. You have that, and then you go over to the bread section because of carbs, and uh, you have a, a sample of that. And then you go over to the juice section and they have little shots of smoothie prepared for you. And, and you can do this at Costco. You can um, just get different tastes. It's not enough to sustain you. It's not enough to satisfy you, but it is food. A lot of people read the scripture that way. You wake up in the morning, boom, immediately into Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, whatever your thing is, and somebody graciously has posted a scripture from the Psalms with a picture of a waterfall behind it. So it's like double inspiration. You've got the inspiration from God, and you've got the inspiration from the picture, and you're filled up with that Psalm, and later on, maybe at lunch, you're cruising through again, and somebody's posted some words from the Apostle Paul with a picture of a mountain behind it. What the mountain has to do with anything, not that relevant. You've got the scripture, you've got the picture. Maybe you'd stop in again before you go to bed. And we're just sampling we're just sampling the scripture. It's always around. We're always in the vicinity of it, but not enough to satisfy us, not enough for our growth, for our benefit, or we read with immediate amnesia. If you've ever tried to read through the Bible in a year, you know what this is. Right? That day, you got to read two chapters, but really you have to read four chapters because you didn't do it yesterday and you said, I'm going to double up tomorrow and you read and it takes a while you're there 15 minutes you're there 20 minutes and you finish and you close your bible and you say 
I have no idea what I just read. But hey, I read it, and it counts. So if most of us are reading like this, it's no wonder that we don't feel great about our relationship with God through the Scripture. It's no wonder many of us feel like we're lacking in the area of reading and applying God's Word. So how do we read it in a way that maximizes God's intention for it? Because as we said last week, God went to the trouble of producing the Scripture. 66 books, 40 plus authors over a span of 1,500 years. He produced it and he has preserved it so that you and I can have a copy ourselves. So how do we read it in a way that maximizes his intention? We're going to eavesdrop on Joshua from Joshua chapter 1. And I want you to remember three things. And I think if we practice these three things, we'll be on our way to maximizing our reading of the scripture. Joshua chapter 1. Verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So this is God speaking to Joshua. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now Joshua, concerning the scripture, takes away all of our excuses. Our number one excuse for why we don't spend as much time in the scripture as we ought is we're busy. We just do not have the time. Joshua would say to that to us today, if I have the time, you have the time. Remember, he's leading a nation of people, God's people. Now, lots of people lead nations. Lots of people lead companies that have thousands of employees, some millions of employees. But in our day, if you are leading something that large, you are separate from the people that you are leading. You live behind a gate. You work in a corner office where you need a special access card to even get onto that floor. Joshua did not have that luxury. He lived in a tent next door to a tent of just a regular person. All of the people lived together. Twelve different neighborhoods. And Joshua lived in one of those neighborhoods as a leader. So he had people coming to him all the time. Joshua, this is my problem. Here's the conflict I have. He was not separate. He would say to us, if, if, if I can make time for the scripture, then you can make time for the scripture. We also know that our excuse of, I, I got a lot of pressure in my life. I'm overwhelmed by my life. I got, I got a lot going on. It's high stakes. He knows what that was like. He succeeded Moses. Remember, God used Moses to rescue his people out of slavery in Egypt. Moses is the one who led them through the wilderness. God performed signs and wonders through Moses. And all at the same time, God said about Moses, he was the most humble man on the planet. One person attended Moses' funeral, and it was God. Can you imagine filling those shoes? Joshua had to. So he would say to us, whatever your excuse is today, if I can practice the scripture, you can too. Here's what we learned from what God tells Joshua. Number one, I need to fill up my life with God's word. Let's read verse 8. Verse 8 is really a summary of 6, 7, and 9. 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. This book of the law, that was God's recorded word. Joshua had access to it. We have access to God's recorded word in what we call the Bible, what we call scripture. And he says it should not depart from Joshua's mouth. Now, obviously, that means Joshua should be speaking about the scripture. But in connection with the next phrase, it's bigger than that. It's the idea that Joshua's life would be saturated with God's word. It would be full. There would be an excess of God's word in his life. Think about it like a flood. A flood is formed when a slow-moving system comes in, and it rains, 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 rains. Eventually, the soil that that rain is falling on becomes saturated itself. There's no room left for the water to go. So the water begins to run towards a creek. It begins to run towards a waterway. It begins to run towards a river. Eventually, the river, the waterway, the creek begins to fill, 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 and then it breaks its barriers, and you have a flood. That's the picture. What God is saying to Joshua, I want your life to be so saturated with my word. It's always in your mouth. There's never a part of your life that it's not connected to. And that's what we want. We want the scripture to break its barriers. Barriers that we easily form. The scripture fits in my church category. It fits in my Bible study category. It fits in my devotional category. It fits in the few minutes that I have with my children before bed. But we want it to spill over into all of our lives. In fact, I read a survey this week. Surveyed people just like you and I who attend church consistently. The 80% of us say our primary reason for attending church on that Sunday was to hear a sermon from the scripture. Not a sermon about how my life can improve. Not a sermon about how I might be helped in some way. But a sermon from the scripture. What does God say In his word, that's what I want to hear. 80% of us would raise our hand and say, that's my primary motive for being here. We want it to break its barriers. We want our lives to be full. So how how do we do it? How do we fill up our life? Time. The only way your life and my life can be filled, saturated with God's word, is through time. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus, talking about the scripture, refers to it as a seed. A seed is slow can't rush a seed it goes into the ground at the beginning of the season and months and months and months and months later it comes to harvest we want our information today bite-sized we want it tweetable we want it quick we want it easily digested so that we can move on to the next thing we we grow frustrated with people who give us too much information We don't want all the excess. Just give me the bare bones, what I basically need to know so I can take it on, take it in, move on to something else. But it takes time. We should be thinking of our relationship with the scripture and what might God do in my life through the scripture in the next 10 years, not in the next 10 minutes. But there's an unspoken question, a silent question. In all of our hearts today, and I mean our, pastors are not exempt. The question is, is how little can I read and it still have its effect? We want it to have its effect. We we want it to be fruitful in our lives. But what's the minimum? Uh, Does it start to be fruitful at five minutes? Because I will read six minutes because I'm an overachiever. Is it at the 10-minute mark that it really starts to bear good fruit? Because I'll read 11 minutes. If I'm feeling really godly, I'll read 12 minutes. 
But what's the bare minimum? What's the bare minimum that I have to do in order for it to work? And at the point that we're asking that question and trying to answer it, the scripture is no longer steak, it becomes broccoli. And broccoli is good for us. We're supposed to eat broccoli. But it does not taste good. I mean, maybe if you soak it in butter, it tastes okay. But really, just does the butter taste good? The broccoli still doesn't taste good. Right? Now, I know that there's some weird people in here, and you would prefer broccoli uh, to steak. Um, right? But we put you over here in this category over here. It's, you're different. Uh, here in Texas, we say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, and we say it to beef. Those are like the order that happens here. But there are people uh, who say, no, I prefer vegetables to meat. I prefer tasteless pieces of tree to <laughs> cheese. I mean, there are people like that. But we put you over here, and uh, we call you weird. You call yourselves vegetarians or vegans. You live over here in this category. And uh, listen, the rest of us know, we know that you've made the better choice. Like, we get it. Nobody's bringing up kind of some weird science that says that beef is better for you than broccoli. We know that it's not. Right? You've made the better choice. We just don't want to live like that. We, just, we, don't, we don't have what it takes to be a vegetarian. Right? And we do that same thing when it comes to the scripture. Um, when we start thinking about it, like broccoli, it's necessary, it's good for us. Um, there are people who seem to prefer it. Uh, they don't talk about the Bible like it's broccoli. They talk about it like it's living and active. They talk about it like when they're reading it, God is speaking to them. They talk about it like it's honey. Um, and good for them. But they're over here in a different category. Uh, they're not with the rest of us, this is just normal people. We're happy for them. We know that they've made better choices with their life, but we have not made those choices, or we don't feel like we have what it takes to, to live like that, and so we just don't. And that all stems from internally asking, how little do I have to do in order for it to work. When God is telling Joshua, it's not about the bare minimum. The goal is the maximum. The goal is filling up our lives with the scripture. So if you would say today, I don't think that my relationship with the Bible is what God intended. It may be because there's not enough input. Number two, I need to always be reminding myself of God's word. I need to always be reminding myself of God's word. The next phrase in verse 8, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Now our idea of meditation is about emptying our mind of, of thoughts. Uh, that's what most of us are thinking when we use the word meditation, emptying our mind. But, uh, have you ever been walking through the, the main hallway of the mall and you see those massage stations there where people are getting massages like right in the middle of like God and everybody and and you've wondered like what kind of person would go and do that uh, I have done that before um, I'm ashamed to admit that I've done it once maybe maybe I've done it more than once I'm confused about how many times that I've done it right because you know my life is stressful your life is stressful but I don't want to pay like a hundred dollars to get a massage so you know this is a much cheaper option I mean you're doing it in public and that's weird but it's a cheaper option and 
And so they put your face down in that chair and they, you know, you, you, it's only like 20 minutes. I mean, you're paying like literally by the minute. So I want to maximize what little time that I have there as they're abusing my back in the middle of the mall. And, uh, and so then you're like, what do I think about? So to maximize it, like, is the goal to like, I don't want to try to think of anything. I think that would make it go by slow. But then my mind starts working and I'm like, uh, this thing's going on at work. And what about this? And I got a to-do list. And suddenly like seven minutes is gone because I was thinking about this one thing. And then I'm like, oh no, I just wasted like one fourth of my time here. And then I start thinking about how many minutes I'm wasting as I'm thinking and just trying to empty my mind, empty my mind. And that's what most of us are thinking of in meditating. Just get to a a blank space. That's the opposite of what God is telling Joshua. When he says, I want you meditating on this day and night, he's saying, no, not emptying, it's filling. You fill your mind with my word. And then you think about it over and over and over and over again. And what are we filling our minds with when we're reading scripture? If you are practicing the flip and pick, I would guess that you are not sure what you're filling your mind with. In fact, we don't need to feel condemned today. As long as there have been pages of Scripture, Christians have been practicing the Wheel of Fortune style. In fact, some early churches got together with just in a few hundred years of Jesus' resurrection and publicly condemned that style of reading because what people, people were doing is when they needed direction in their life... Um, when they had a problem, they would do that. They would just flip to some random verse in the Bible and then they would take that as God's answer to their question. Well, you can see how destructive that would be. So as we're reading the scripture, we need to be asking some good questions so we make sure that we're putting accurate information into our minds that we have to think about. Question number one that you always need to ask when you're reading the scripture is where does this passage fit in the story? of the Bible. Remember, the Bible has a lot of diversity in it. 66 separate books written by 40 plus authors. Different kinds of language. There's poetry. There's history. There's predictions. So when you're reading, you're asking yourself, where does this fit in the story of the scripture? Take, for example, David and Goliath. David and Goliath is in the historical section of the kings. It tells the story of God's people. Right? Because you wouldn't want to read the story of David and Goliath and at the end say, you know what? I actually have somebody in my life that I do not like right now. Um, I'm going to go and throw rocks at them. <laughs> it's not a good application of the story of David and Goliath. But if you're asking yourself, where does this passage fit? You know it fits in the history of God's people. You know the point isn't to tell you what to do. It's this is the story of God's people and God's relationship with his people. The second question we always need to ask when we're reading the scripture, how does this passage connect to Jesus? Let's say you stumble upon Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16 talks about goats. Now, I don't know how many of you have goats in your yard. I'm guessing not very many of us. So if you read Leviticus chapter 16, you get to the goat section. You're like, I don't have any goats. Maybe you're just on to Leviticus chapter 17. But if you ask the question, how does this passage connect to Jesus? You've just read that a priest would lay his hands on a goat and he would confess all of the sins of God's people for that year. And then they would put a leash on that goat and they would lead it out into the wilderness. And it was a picture of God taking away 
Israel's sin. Then you ask yourself, how does this passage connect with Jesus? Your sin, my sin, landing on the shoulders of Jesus. They bind him, lead him out of the city of Jerusalem, up onto a hill, so that your sins and my sins can be forgiven. By just asking this one simple question, a random story about some animals suddenly paints a very beautiful picture of what Christ has done for us. How does this passage connect to Jesus? And third, what is the original author trying to say to the original audience? What is the Apostle Paul trying to get across to the Corinthians or the Galatians or the Ephesians? What's his encouragement to Timothy, his true son in the faith? What's Luke's motive for recording the stories of Jesus for his friend Theophilus? Asking this third question uh, keeps us from bending the Bible so that it supports whatever I want to be supported. You know, lots of people start with the end goal in mind. This is what they wish God was like. These are the things that they wish God affirmed. These are the things that they wished God's opinions were about. And when you start with the end in, the mind, in mind, what you wanted to say, there's, a, there's enough sentences and random words in the scriptures to maybe find support for that. But it forces us, when we start with what we wished it said, it forces us to emphasize some parts and minimize other parts. That's a bad habit many of us have fallen into. God tells Joshua, meditate on it day and night. Think about it. We have to remember. I don't know if there's one thing in your life that you consistently forget to do. Uh, For me, it's to give my kids their medicine before bed. Uh, It doesn't matter how many times Amanda tells me, make sure to give them their medicine. Make sure to give them their medicine. I can write it down. I can put a reminder on my phone. But then I just forget to put a reminder on my phone. Um, and, and I always forget. Right? I, I wish I didn't forget. Sometimes when she said it internally, I'm thinking, I'm going to remember this time. I'm going to remember this time. I'm going to remember this time. And then I forget to remember. Right? Um, I would guess for most of us, if there's any dissatisfaction with our relationship, from this relationship with the scripture, scripture it's, it's not from a lack of knowledge. Most of us already know Enough about the scripture for God to work in our lives the rest of our lives. It's that we forget to remember. And some of us need to leave with a commitment because we're committed to Jesus. A commitment to remember, to remember. That all those things that are in the back of our minds would come to the front of our mind. And finally, number three, I need to be intentional in my practice of God's word. Verse 8, meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Be careful to do all that is written in it, God says to Joshua. Notice the word all that is recorded. It can be difficult because God has expressed his will through the scripture about a lot of different things. And because there are so many things In the scripture, what happens is we end up focusing on the parts that we like and ignoring the parts that we don't like. So you have people who emphasize the parts of the scripture that talk about our external behavior. 
Many of us grew up in churches like that. It talked about the things that you should do. It talked, they talked a lot about the things that you shouldn't do. And lots of biblical evidence for those things. But in emphasizing those parts, they ignored the, the parts about our heart. Yes, our actions are important, but also the way we feel, where our heart is, what our passions are, what our desires are. God also cares about those so that he would not accuse us of what Jesus accused the Pharisees of, which is on the outside, you look beautiful. You're doing all of the right things, but on the inside, you're filled with dead men's bones. And that comes from emphasizing the external and ignoring the internal. Or people do the opposite. They say, oh, the only thing that matters, the only thing that matters is where your heart's at. And if your heart's in the right place, then it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you practice. As long as your heart's in the right place. We need God to rescue us from the hypocrisy of having our favorite parts of the Bible. He has inspired every page. He says, be careful to do all that's recorded in it. Psalm 119 verse 59 says, when I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. When our daughter Willa about six months ago was learning to walk you know I noticed this phenomenon um, babies uh, really they just have to go with their momentum like wherever their momentum is headed that's where they're headed when they're learning to walk because they don't have the self control or the coordination to stop and turn and move in different directions for a while and so in those early days she would be like a ball rolling down a hill just going 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 until she ran into a wall or a person or she fell down onto the ground because she couldn't really stop herself there would be occasions when that momentum would get going really really going that she would notice something over to her right a snack or a person or something else uh, shiny that she would really want in that moment. But she didn't have the self-control or the coordination to stop and turn towards that thing. So what would happen is she would turn her upper body towards the new thing, but the lower half of her body was still moving in the same general direction that she had started with. And it was hilarious. I'm not going to lie. You know, on your first kid, you take pictures and chronicle every uh, step in the beginning days. And your third kid, you just sit around and laugh at them. And, uh, What the psalmist is saying is that you and I, we need to make sure that our feet are pointed in the direction that we want them to go because that's where we're headed. It would be great if you could just turn your heart and that was it. But it's your feet that determine your direction. Some of us maybe even today are saying, you know, my heart is turned towards God. I want that. I really desire that. But unless you turn your feet, You're just headed to wherever your momentum is. Some of our momentum is taking us closer to God. Some of our momentum is taking us further from God. And look at how God said it would end if Joshua practiced all these things concerning God's word. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Those are two words that we'd love to have attached to our names. Prosperous and successful. But notice Joshua doesn't get to define those words. God had already done that 
back in verse six. He says, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So Joshua already knows what it looks like to be prosperous and successful. If he delivers God's people into their land of promise that God has marked out for them, no longer will the people of Israel live in tents. They're gonna get to live in homes. They're not gonna live in borrowed land anymore. In foreign countries, they're gonna have a place just to call their own. And to be prosperous and successful means Joshua will lead them in. God defined those terms. And God is saying, if you will follow my word, it will lead you to this prosperity. One of the reasons why you and I are not internally motivated, driven towards the scripture is because we have defined prosperous and successful. We've said, this is what it will look like for me to prosper. This is what it would look like for me to have a successful life. And if we have defined those terms, then God's word may not help us get there. If we've said my goal is to be the number one salesman in my company, which is an admirable goal, but I'm gonna do it at the expense of other people. I'm gonna undercut the other salesmen. I'm gonna steal leads. I'm gonna manipulate. I'm gonna lie. I'm gonna bend the truth. Why would we have any internal motivation to the scripture? Because we know the scripture is not gonna help us get to that goal. And more than that, the scripture might even condemn that ugliness inside of us on our way to that goal. But if we start back at the beginning and we say, God, I'm gonna let you decide what it means for me to be prosperous and successful. We'll see that the scripture will help us get there. You see in your listening guide, to be successful and prosperous means I receive what God has prepared. That's what it was for Joshua. God had prepared a land. Joshua was successful when he and God's people received that land. It's easy to think being prosperous means I get what I want, when really it means I get what God wants. And the scripture help us, helps us get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the hearts of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Why fill up our minds, our lives with scripture? Why remind ourselves of what God has said day and night? Why be intentional about practicing those words? Because they are going to lead to your prosperity and your success based on God's definitions, which according to 1 Corinthians says you couldn't even imagine. No eyes ever laid sight to it and no ear has ever heard its rhythms. What God has prepared for those who love it. So read the scripture because the scripture will take you where God wants you to go. And that's the very best definition of prosperous and successful. Let's pray. God, we ask for your grace. We ask for your mercy. We ask for your power. We know all the wishful thinking in the world. help us to practice these things but God through your spirit which lives in us we can we ask these things in Jesus name